It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. And this is Dennis Bernstein with Greg Pallast. And, well, Greg, uh, I know you're busy doing some incredibly important reporting. Uh, something happened in Atlanta. This is something that you started talking about and we started talking about a long time ago as uh, what could be the core of the real investigations into Trump. So what do you think of uh, what the DA did? Who was indicted? Uh, she didn't hold back, did she? Not at all. I think that this is a really powerful case, hammerlock case. All right, sorry, I'm in. Uh, I'm on the Osage Indian Reservation in Oklahoma, with the Osage Nation, and uh, interestingly, I'm um, actually on a cold Rico case. When uh, 30 years ago, and I'm here with a former FBI agent who headed the investigation of theft of oil from the Native Americans here. Uh, over a billion dollars of oil stolen by a guy named Charles Koch. And a RICO indictment, or racketeering indictment, was uh, written up by a grand jury. And interestingly, it got vanished. So I know RICO well. I did uh, the RICO case for the, uh, or the Justice Department in New York, the first big billion-dollar white-collar RICO case. And so I'm very familiar, and I did RICO in Georgia. So I want you to know that I actually have some idea of what I'm talking about. So this is not MSNBC or Fox. Now you're getting the real thing. I've read through the indictment. It's what we've talked about. It's actually abstruse to most uh, Americans, but if you've been listening to the Election Crimes Bulletin, you know that it's the abstruse issue, the really kind of obscure technical issue, that Trump was part of an enterprise like a mob enterprise to submit false electors vote uh, would vote for him. In other words, if in America, we don't vote for president, Dennis. I hate to tell you that. We don't get a chance to vote for president. We vote for these people called electors who go to the electoral college. You don't get a scholarship to go there. You have to be elected. And in Georgia and in other states, and Fonnie Willis, and by the way, it's funny. I apologize for mispronouncing her name all this time. Not Fanny. It's Fanny Willis. She, ident- she indicted or named as co-conspirators all the kind of local schmucks who put their name on as electors who met had a phony electoral college meeting in Atlanta where they voted for Donald Trump. And they signed affidavits and sent it to Mike Pence the vice president, to Congress, to the legislature, et cetera, saying, literally signing affidavits saying, I am the duly elected elector for the Electoral College. In fact, they never ran. They weren't on the ballot. Dennis, it's like you said, I'm mayor of San Francisco. Where's my limousine? Well, Dennis, if you want to be mayor of San Francisco, you actually have to put your name on the ballot. This isn't even a question. It's very important for people to know that unlike, it's very different from Jack Smith's um, case because fanny smith does not have to prove assert that trump won or lost the election uh unlike jack smith who has to prove from his own case that trump knew he had lost the election but was committing fraud on the united states and the american people by um knowing that he'd lost but still pushing to overturn the election all she has to prove is that these people who submitted their names as electors 
were never elected, that they were never even on the ballot. Right. So there's no question of their election. It's that simple for her. It's 98 pages. But it all comes down to the fact that these people never ran for elector. And now how does Trump get in this? Because Trump personally was part of the directing the effort to find these fake electors, say, hey, you're an elector, you can choose the president. And through Rudy Giuliani and this professor from Pomona College in California, law professor named Eastman. Now, understand, if Trump had simply gone to his own electors, the people he had put on the ballot, and they said, we won, and they submitted their slate, Trump might have actually gotten away with this. Because it actually happened in 1876. In 1876, Dennis, and I know you know this well, because you were paying attention in history class, that um, the Democrat Tilden, Sam Tilden, had won election in 1876. He won the popular vote, and he won the electoral vote. Except the Congress at the time did what uh, Trump wanted them to do this time. They rejected the Democratic electors, and that made the loser, the Republican, Rutherford B. Hayes, president of the United States. So it's not a far-fetched scheme. The problem was is that they didn't use the actual Republican electors. They just made up a list. This was organized by Giuliani, by Mark Meadows, by uh, Sidney Powell, who came down to Georgia and convinced people to put their names on. Now, half of those electors took the opportunity for immunity. So they're the ones who said, yeah, they told us that we could do this, that it was legal. So they were being conned. That creates what's called an enterprise. Sometimes we call the enterprise under RICO the mob or the mafia yes. or, a, or a gang, uh, which is what the law was intended to go after. The whole purpose of the law, RICO law, including and Georgia uh, RICO law and federal, is that it's the way you get Mr. Big. Because, Dennis, until the RICO law was passed first in Congress uh, – nationwide than in Georgian specific is that you had hitmen like Vinnie the chin or excuse me like mob bosses like Vinnie the chin order hitmen to go out and whack people they'd say but no one could ever touch the big boss only the small fry the the uh, the hitmen themselves and their lieutenants they were the only ones that went to prison so racketeering was specifically invented for a case like this where Mr. Big authorizes his lieutenants to go find the chumps to carry out the crime. But Rico is designed to find the spider in the middle of this web. And there's one spider, the orange spider in the middle of this web. And that's why knowing Rico law. So you have this enterprise that is this, this, um, this gang of mobsters. That's one. Then you have something called predicate acts. And in this case, it was simply when they signed statements saying that they were the duly elected electors, they were impersonating officials. They were impersonating state and federal officials, electors from Georgia. I know this sounds complicated. You have to understand RICO. So they, by committing the crime of saying under oath that they were electors, by lying to other officials, so all this stuff of Trump making the phone call to Secretary of State Raffinger, that's all in the story. But frankly, Fawny Willis put that in to kind of make it a cool story, because otherwise it sounds too technical just to say that they weren't the official electors as required by the U.S. Constitution. There was also one of the predicate acts 
which I, again I think that uh, uh, may be more for window dressing and because it's a cool story to tell a jury, is the uh, obtaining of voters' records from Coffee County. Now, in my investigation for the film Vigilante, uh, I went to Coffee County. It's the seat of Coffee County is Douglas. Douglas is what is known as a sundown town. That means that black people cannot walk on the public streets after sundown. Now, they used to have the signs. This is a sundown, you know, sundown town, no Negroes after dark. The signs are all down, but let me tell you, the reality is still there. You would not want to be an African-American kind of wandering downtown in Douglas after dark. I kid you not. That still exists in America. So Giuliani sent people down with Sidney Powell to have the local clerk in Douglas give them voters records, hoping that it would prove that this was all uh, that the election was stolen. Dennis, I hate to say it, but those records that they were seeking while they were impersonating public officials and it was part of a scheme to get these electors accepted, it's actually not. What they took were public documents. That wasn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't normally call this a crime. They also threw in, for example, Ruby Freeman, an African-American in Atlanta. Right. She's one of a number of, you know, dozens and dozens of people in Fulton County, which is uh, Atlanta, Georgia who were counting ballots, and Trump identified her personally as someone stuffing 18,000 ballots into the ballot boxes, counting 18,000 ballots, which didn't exist. In fact, as it turns out, and no one questions this anymore, that Ruby Freeman uh, was just doing her job. There was absolutely no indication of of votes that didn't exist, 15,000 extra votes more than ballots that were uh, counted, et cetera, et cetera. But this woman also was harassed. Uh, Sidney Powell hired a firm to go and sent emissaries to go and threaten her. Her life has been in danger because of these tweets. So you vilify some poor, nice person who's getting next to nothing as as a good citizen working the polls, working the, the vote counting arena. And, you know, she was literally, her life has been in danger. So that is one of the predicate acts. But again, all these predicate acts would be kind of nothing if it weren't for the main crime of trying to sell electors who never stood for elections themselves, who just could not be the electors. And that's the real practical crime. That's the, that's the just, you know, fingerprints on the situation all over the place. No denying it's it. It's point blank. Uh, and, th- and that does, that is, that crime is outlined by the, the federal investigation, uh, by the independent counsel also talks about the right, the, at the heart of the matter is depriving the person's right to vote. Absolutely. So it, what it does is it takes away our votes because those of us who voted for the real electors were encountered, including Trump's real electors. Right. Even Trump's electors were ignored. You have to understand that. I think partly because that they figured correctly, especially in Georgia, that the people who ran as Trump electors, they may have wanted to be president, but they're not willing to break rocks on a chain gang. So they find some poor suckers who don't know the law. Now, in this case, Trump does not have to know the law. Again, unlike the Jack Smith case, which claims that Trump knew he had lost, that's not a requirement here. 
All you have to do is prove that these electors weren't elected, that Trump was promoting this scheme. And this Professor Eastman, who came up with this scheme, who came up with the scheme of uh, getting Mike Pence to reject the Democrats, his original idea, his original memo, I hate to say it, we have a problem with our United States Constitution, which is it does say that the vice president, you know, it implies that the vice president could reject when there's a dispute, could reject slates of electors and accept others. So, uh, you know, that that is a problem. We actually had that happen, of course, also in the race between John Quincy Adams and um, Andrew Jackson. That also happened where yes. Andrew Jackson's first race for presidency, the electors were rejected by the Congress. And John Quincy Adams became president. So twice in America, we've had this done. But these are real electors. They were elected by someone. It may it may be wrong and creepy and ugly that we had two presidents elected by rejecting the electors voted on by what we call the electorate. I uh, knew we were getting all variations of the word elector, but that's the game here. So it's a tighter case because you don't have to prove you don't have to go into the yellow gelatinous blob called Trump's brain and guess what's there he just was at the center yeah. of this of this, this, the big spider in the middle of this web and he knew what was going on also yeah. Giuliani can't tell me he doesn't know the racketeering law not only was he a special prosecutor but he was one of the first guys to really use the racketeering case on Wall mm -hmm. Street and therefore he knew. And by the way, I, I hate to admit this. I have to confess something, Dennis. I worked on a racketeering case with Rudy Giuliani. So he certainly knows how the rac how, uh, racketeering okay, well, We're going to have to consider that, so that's Mr. Pellis, next it's time. Shut. Uh, okay, listen, we're going to leave it there for now. We know you're doing some good reporting. Uh, where are you, in Oklahoma something? Yes. Yes, so uh, just very quickly, I'm on the uh, Oklahoma's Osage Nation Reservation. I'm doing, I'm reviewing, going back into an old racketeering case of mine where 30 years ago there was a racketeer who was, um, uh, an indictment was written up and a grand jury was impaneled and they were about to issue their indictment. His name is Charles Koch. You may know him. He, he had a brother named David. Yeah. Uh, Koch Oil and Charlie Koch himself personally mm -hmm. were facing a racketeering indictment for stealing over a billion dollars worth of oil from these poor uh, Native American natives here in the Osage Reservation. So I'm, I, I've actually here with the chief FBI agent in charge of that racketeering investigation. And we want to know why that investigation, why that indictment with a grand jury just went poof. So I know racketeering. Giuliani knows racketeering. And, you know, Trump is very, all right. he knows what he's doing. All so right. all he, Listen, you know, so he's leave, in the middle of this game. We're going to leave you alone, Greg. Uh, and mm -hmm. good information. This is a story uh, we wanted to get to you. We know it would be a little hard with the sound. We wanted to get to you because we know it's a story mm -hmm. that you've been on six different ways to Tuesday. And incredibly important story. And, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. But uh, that's to come. Speaking with Greg Palace, we do the election crimes bullet. You can check them out at gregpalace.com. Greg, be safe. We're interested to know what, what's happening there on the reservation, and we'll, we'll follow up on that.